Hello and welcome to this podcast, Comedian Without Borders. I'm Patrick Monaghan, and every episode I'll be talking about identity and also talking about belonging and nationalism. This whole podcast will introduce you to different people with different backgrounds who are based in the UK but also around the world. And it's also talking about their identity and what identity means to them. I was born in Iran with Irish, Iranian and Arab roots. And sometimes I'll bring that into the podcast as I talk to my guests. Uh, This is quite an interesting podcast because this was just after England won the Cricket World Cup. And if, like me, you don't know very much about cricket or sport, it was quite interesting to watch England win that World Cup because their team emphasises how I feel England is at the moment. It's a great melting pot where they had an Irish-born captain, they had a Caribbean-born bowler and two players that came from Pakistan, which actually shows about identity, shows that actually how trivial things like a place of birth or a passport is, when actually it's that burning fire inside you. The passion to play for a nation is actually stronger than actually just having a passport or a birth certificate. So I always think, you know, home is where the heart is. Even though someone who was born in Iran with an Irish-Iranian Arab roots, the English cricket team shows how you can play on any grass in anywhere in the world and call it home. So today my guest on this podcast is a very keen cricket fan, but also a very good comedian and a lovely all-round bloke. It's Ishan Akbar. Ishan Akbar, welcome to Comedian Without Borders. Thank you for having me. Do you know what? I saw something online, and I don't know if you've, you've released this yet, if it's gone viral, but it's about you doing Bollywood dancing. What happened? What you were doing? It was something like Stormzy and... Yes, yes on Friday I did um, a Bollywood lip-sync battle. So I did a medley of six songs, one of which was Stormzy. Oh, my God. And I did a Bollywood version of it. Is Stormzy quite big in the, uh, in the Bollywood Asian No, not community? really. I just thought, you know, i just throw it, throw it in there, mix it up a bit. Oh my god! I, they seem to like it. I love that fact that because um, when you look at Bollywood, normally it's like very dainty little ladies, and then they and the fellas are all look like them, you know, beautiful dark. What are you trying to say? No, but they're all very gentle, like you. Yeah. And then and then suddenly you've got like a six foot four murky like uh, what's he got like Stormzy like. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. I was in the chicken shop. I him in the face. I took a body shot. Boom, yeah. And it's like ding 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 ding. It's like, what? It seemed to work. Like they, work. they enjoyed the the rhythm of it. I said, did you learn some Stormzy moves? No, no, I just made my own. So I used to be a dance choreographer. Ah. I used to be a Bollywood dance choreographer, so I thought I just... See, nobody knows all this secret hidden talents about you. What? So go on, what was this Bollywood choreography that you did? So basically, from the age of like 11 till 24, mm-hmm. I was a Bollywood dancer and then a choreographer. I had my own troupe. Wow. And I kind of teach them, show them Bollywood moves and... On the comedy circuit, when I say people don't know about your background, obviously people will know about your background in other industries, but in comedy, people just know you as like the huggy bear of comedy. Do they? I don't know. I've got a couple of adjectives here, and I want you to choose the best one. Okay. Because people always see you as friendly. Yeah, I've got, not friendly. I've, got, I've got moments of like, I wouldn't say dark, but they're satirically quite pinpointed. Yeah. So I have those moments, but yeah, what, I wouldn't say I'm a dark. What's the darkest you've ever gone then? What, so, for example, the darkest I've gone maybe in my last show I talked about uh, burying my mum uh, that's and dark. while burying her almost teabagging her 
Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> See, I've seen a lot of your stuff, but I hadn't seen that. So that's yeah. quite a shock for me. Yeah, yeah. Oh so, my goodness. So it's okay. vulnerable, but also dark and fun. Where did you yeah. get the connection between I'm burying my mother and then the tea bagging? I mean, because where? it almost happened. Really? Yeah, yeah just... it almost happened. So I'm like, I just need to say the story. <laughs> um, because it was just graves are very small, tight spaces, and I'm a big lad. Yeah. And there was not much give. Um, and so I had to lay my mum's body to rest inside this grave. Yeah. And so immediately it's quite dark oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the funny bits were the fact that I was... Logistically, it was so difficult. I almost teabagged my mum. And then I left an imprint of my, my ass on oh. the wall of the grave. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. <laughs> but, when, but when did you see the comedy side of that? Was that actually oh. at the moment when you were... When you're buried, or was it after that when you think back at it and you, you let the you let the pain go and then do you see the comedy? Yeah, I mean, I, it's that old adage, isn't it, of tragedy or comedy yeah, yeah. or tragedy plus time, whatever it is. But you know, I I started comedy two months before my mum passed away, God. and then my first gig was two weeks after. And the funnies about my mum's death probably took me about a year and a half. Yeah, before you feel confident yeah, enough to talk to say, about say, it. You know what? I'm going to talk about this. Like you know. Um, <clears throat> how did you think? What, what, how did you feel the audience felt about that? Because if you, I remember years ago when I was doing when you first started comedy, people always say avoid things like religion, politics, and death. Because death, as soon as you mention someone died, unless you're doing it as a throwaway joke, yeah. if you mention someone that they can relate to, uh, then that do you not feel like tension in the room? It can be. I've been in comedy five years. This I was this show I did I was four years in st- I guess still quite fresh faced yeah. that's quite new yeah that's very new yeah um, but I don't know I feel like it's and for me it's better to go for those topics early doors if you're confident doing them yeah, yeah. because you learn quicker yeah so when I did it the first couple of times of course audiences were like oh, this isn't funny this is harrowing yeah and then it was about my delivery and it was about making people comfortable that I was owning the story because often not just with my death with my mother's death but also generally mm. other people take offence on behalf of other people yeah so there were people who were taking offence on behalf of my dead mum that had nothing yeah. to do with them yeah exactly. uh, so I had to learn okay this is how I navigate this and eventually I was able to find a way to make it funny but do you know when you're talking about stuff like that particularly about your mum or anything about your background do you not find that there's two different types of audiences so for instance you know you said you've been doing comedy for five years I always think and it, this might be wrong with me, but you know when I when you speak to me, how long have you been doing comedy? And if they say I've been doing comedy for twenty years, but then I always go, but how many Edinburghs or how many solo shows, how many tour shows, and that's like because how many Edinburghs you've done quite a few Edinburghs. Well, this I'm now on my third one. Exactly. So that's quite expensive because three and put, five. Yeah. yeah. So to put that into perspective, for people who've, if they're not done comedy, I'm not sure about comedy. It can take a comic 15 years just to write a one-hour show. So, but if you've done three hours, and that, that's that's like giving you like 10, 20 years experience yeah. of comedy. Well, I mean, so famously, like Mickey Flanagan, for example, took mm-hmm. his debut up after 14 years in the yeah. game. Yeah, you know, that's it's like his first hour. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and people think when they see that, don't they go, "Oh God, yeah, that overnight success, this guy was great at that," but he honed it and yeah. worked it. Yeah, and th- there's 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 no right or wrong way necessarily. I mean, I, yeah, would I be if my debut hour was after 15 years? Would it be watertight? Yeah, absolutely, it would be. But but the confidence you'd have, I, I would say this from a personal point of view, I wouldn't have that confidence. I mean, I, I've done like whatever 14 years at Edinburgh. Uh, I did my first hour show after like maybe 
14, 16 months of doing stand-up, which is ridiculous. Wow, you know? okay. Exactly, yeah. so that's the wrong way to do it. Well, it's not the wrong way to do it. It's a baptism of fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it, most people would have given up. I remember doing it, and people did give up after doing it after a couple of years. They yeah, were like, it just killed them. And uh, whereas, like you mentioned there, Mickey Flanagan is a perfect way. If it's like, if you're learning a textbook, you yeah. said do what Mickey did. But in terms of what you did about your mother, oh my God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch anything like that for like 10, 15 years. Really? That's either. Yeah, it's really impressive that oh. you would do something like that. Because that's interesting, because this whole podcast talks about your identity, talks about what you know people talking about, how comfortable they feel about talking about things. So for anyone who's never seen you do stand-up, so just talk a little bit about your background, because I know you obviously with, um, obviously we were, you're from London, but your family is from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, my mum was Bangladeshi, my dad is Pakistani, yeah. um, and my maternal grandparents are Indian, Indian proper. Yeah. And in 1971, there was a big war between Pakistan and East Pakistan, and East Pakistan became Bangladesh. Uh, I was born in London, uh, raised in London, but I spent a lot of time in Bangladesh growing up. And English, English was the fourth language I learned to speak. So my, when I went to school, it wasn't until I was about seven years old that my mum heard me speaking English properly with my friends for the first time. She got upset that I had a bit of a, an East London Essex twang, <laughs> yeah. took me home, got her stick out, yeah. made me read Wuthering Heights to her as I was on the radio. Oh, wow. And hit me any time I swallowed a tea or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then I ended up sounding like a middle-class twat. Well, this is the thing. If you literally just tuned in to the podcast, just listened to you before you... Yeah, you, to me, you sound like you could be on Radio 4. Well, yeah, you yeah. on Radio 4. But it's like, yeah. you're, just, you're someone from Radio 4 who grew up in the home counties. Yeah, basically. And both your parents uh, are called Derek and Carol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. But like I said, English is the fourth language I learned to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm fluent in Bengali, Urdu, Hindi. Yeah. Um, and so, what, so, so Bengali. Bengali. Urdu. Urdu. Hindi. And Hindi, yeah. Uh, then English and I speak a bit of Punjabi rudimentary yeah. Punjabi wow. enough to get me out of fights basically yeah good <laughs> see that now that's really interesting because to a lot of people that's just weird isn't it but that's the similar background to me when we grew up when we first came to the UK we were born in Iran and it came over at the age of three the only language we could speak was Farsi which was Iranian and Arabic and then we learned English at school but I used to still speak Iranian at school thinking that people could still speak that and it was and it was weird because where we grew up in the North East you grew up in London which yeah. is I mean does that have a massive influence on your identity do you think I mean if you're away on holiday and someone asks you to say oh so where are you from what would you say do you say London England do you say Bangladesh do you say Pakistan well, okay, so I always say England. Yeah. So here's the thing. So with you being from the northeast, I I'm actually quite envious of ethnic minorities who are not from London. Because I don't think London necessarily has its own identity. Whereas if you're a Brummie, you're a Brummie. If you're a Liverpudlian, you're a Liverpudlian. If you're a Geordie, you're a Geordie, you know. And I think it's so nice, particularly when you're ethnic minority, that you have an affinity to this group. Whereas in London, because it's so cosmopolitan... It's very difficult to get a sense of belonging. Now, I, I know I'm a Londoner at my heart, but actually I don't know what that means mm-hmm. because it's so metropolitan. Um, when I go abroad, I'll say I'm from England, but obviously the response always is, well, you're not heritage. there, right? Yeah, yeah. where your are your parents? parents your heritage. Uh, and so then, then we explain that. I certainly feel more English than I feel Scottish, Irish or British for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 
by virtue of you know my, my education um my work history the first time I fell in love everything always happened in London yeah yeah so I'm as London as it comes I was born in the East End mm -hmm. but to so many people that doesn't mean anything no exactly well, it's ironic because what you've said there is not the opposite to what I I had growing up or feeling but I always think that you know I've lived in London now for years and I actually feel more relaxed here than I have ever anywhere in the UK because I think here, and it's the opposite to what you were saying, is that for me, it was about blending where you could just get, I like that thing of, um, what's the word where, atomic, you know, like where you're sort of... Autonomous. Autonomous, where nobody gives a monkeys. Yeah. Whereas in the northeast or in any parts of the UK, it's really, it's beautiful and there's lovely people, but there's always that thing that you're always, okay, but... Where's that person and what are they doing here? What's that? Oh, right, it's more Whereas, visible. You're more visible. Yes. And uh, even though I'm very white, I mean, I'm, I've got the appearance of that, but my family, and I remember growing up where it was, it took me years, maybe, well, not maybe not years, but months to, well, it did take me years to learn the accent, to change the way I spoke. The same way. Did you actively do that then? Yeah. Did you actively massive change. Okay. Yeah, of course. I, mean, I thought I remember, you just picked it up. No, no, no. I remember getting. Um, it's funny because I talk about that in, in the show where, I'd, where it's you learn a language quicker the more you get chased. And I remember getting chased so much that, like, because I'd be like, my the way I would speak first of all when it comes like, Salam alaikum, Salam alaikum, you know, and it was like that. And then, and then you would learn to speak English, which is like, hello, how are you? But then you realize even that doesn't work in the north. So then, then it would soon become like, all oh, right, how's it going, mate? You're, and then you yeah, learn right. the dialect sort of thing. Okay. And, and it is nice, but it's like what you say, where yeah, you want that identity because that's that's the that's the thing that I loved, and the advantage was that it did give me an identity, even though it wasn't a real identity. It was, yeah. it was still like a, a fake identity. But for you, what would so what, where would you like if you could have lived anywhere in the UK? Where would you which I which town or city identity would you have liked? Because I think your accents are very. I think it's brilliant. It's like. He's like, hello, hello, <laughs> my name's Roger, 007. But the added, the added complication as well was that I was educated privately. Ah, the, now, yeah. Now, what that does is when, when, you go, when you are one of very few brown people in a private school mm -hmm. and you sound like I do, yeah. it became, it was bizarre. All through my life I've had, even in school, it was noteworthy that I spoke the way I do. Yeah, yeah. So, although I was surrounded by people who spoke the same way, people would still be like, well, how's this happened? You're brown. This yeah. is making sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, at school, I was like this brown private school kid. I felt really brown there. Yeah. The, the nuances of me being Pakistani, but it didn't matter. I was just Asian. Yeah. I grew up in the east end of London where I'd get called a Paki. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, okay, that's yeah. that bit. Um, I'd go to Bangladesh and... My family there would be like, you're too British to be Bangladeshi. Yeah. I go to Pakistan, yeah, yeah. you're too British to be Pakistani. Exactly, yeah. So I never really felt like I belonged. I've got this weird fascination with Scotland. I yeah. love Scottish Asians. Yes, because they're strong that Scottish. Oh my goodness, yeah. Strong Scottish yeah, accent. Yeah, to yeah. me, it's just like, you are undeniably Scottish. Yeah. Whereas I could be from London, I could also be from Kent, I could be from Reading, I could be from... Wiltshire, yeah, yeah. I could be from anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, so, although the way I speak is like quite RP and basic, in my opinion, 
yeah. I think it's wreaked havoc with my sense of identity yeah. a little bit. But what accent? Okay, what, so what accent can you do if you had to do like a regional accent? <laughs> oh god! I think you'd be great as a. Um, I don't know, like Scouser maybe, because Brummies is a bit boring, isn't it? Northeast. I, I think know. I think I'd be a joyful Scouser. Yeah, you'd be good at that. I think or like a really like either Edinburgh, like educated Edinburgh. Yeah, but Edinburgh's so poor. I mean, you sound like you could be from Edinburgh. That's well, exactly that's the problem, right? There you go. But Glaswegian. <laughs> go, like, yeah, he's like. I'd love a proper Glaswegian. Oh, he's an actor here. He's an actor. Yeah, right, pal. Buddy, pal. Yeah. I think that it is true, though, isn't it? When I think. The thing is, I think British people love that if they see someone who doesn't look British but has got a, such a strong, strong yeah. Scottish accent. Or I think it buys you a lot of... Actually, it's a good way to come, not be um, racially attacked, actually, mm-hmm. I think. If you are a brown person who's got a strong regional accent, people hear yeah. that first exactly. before they see the fact that you're brown. Whereas mm-hmm. with my kind of generic English accent... It kind of melt, kind of melts, so you're able to go for the fact that I'm a different colour to you. And I think, and the problem is, you've got the prejudice where, obviously, as you said, it, it, you're brown, you're noticeable uh, um, with Asian parents, but that posh accent puts you into another field where um, it's a classist system as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. In the UK, we have this problem, don't we, where if people are from not just that you're not from the UK, but they see that you're not from their same class, and yeah. And that RP, the accent that you've got, is such a minority yeah. that they see them as the ruling classes. Yeah. So, like for me, it was great to have, like to, to adopt that regional accent because then I thought, you know what? Actually, even though I was a minority in a town or in that area or in the country, because there wasn't any, there wasn't really many Iranians then. Particularly not. I mean, in London there was, but not there. And then there wasn't any Irish race, there wasn't any mixed identities the same way yeah. that you're Bangladeshi Pakistani, which is something interesting because. In London, that's not so bad, but around the UK, around the rest of the world, it, they just would clash you as Asian. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. not, because people forget. It's the same way as you'd say to an Iranian, you're an Arab, but when, there's so yeah, many different, different yeah. types. It's like saying to someone from Scotland, you're English. and it's So, for, in a nutshell, how would you describe that? Would you say you're more Bangladeshi or more Pakistani, even though you're British, but if you had to? Um... I, I I dream I some I dream, I'm more likely to dream in Bengali. Yeah. Um, I prefer Bengali food. I dance like a Pakistani. Yeah. Uh, What's the difference there between the Bengali and Pakistani? Because Bengali is more it's a smaller more you, the more tradition is it more older, whereas Pakistani is the when they split wasn't it the country yeah, so that's indeed, a bit yeah. more of a newer. It's a bit well. Bangladesh is newer than than Pakistan. Bangladesh mm. was in 1971. Pakistan was 1947. Right. right. Um, but Bangladesh is is surrounded by India and Burma, so the influences there are there's a lot of Hindu influences. Bangladesh has got one of the oldest Buddhist temples in the world. Um, it's got a text that's based on Sanskrit, yeah. whereas Pakistan is got a text that's based on Arabic. Right. It's closer to Afghanistan, so it has yeah. a much stronger, almost like Farsi influence. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. the northern parts of Pakistan, especially, have a very strong affinity with uh, Farsi and Afghanistan and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
yeah, because there's a couple of words Hindi. Well, I think that Hindi words you've got like uh, paneer, which is cheese, yeah. hood office, all these words. Yeah. These are what we use in Farsi. Farsi, exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it, dep- it depends on what, what I'm doing, what, what I feel more. What about the dancing? What, how is that different then? You said so Pakistan and Bangladesh. How does so? Because we all know screwing the light bulb, yeah. patting the doors, <laughs> that kind of thing. What's that? So, so Pakistan. I come from a place. My dad comes from a place in Pakistan called the Punjab, and the Punjab was split during 1947 but Punjabi dancing is very big out there whereas Bengalis because they're a smaller people generally their dancing is a lot more classic you know uh, right to the pointed fingers more classical Indian yeah. stuff that you might be like quite elegant like a ballerina very elegant almost yeah and, pointed like yeah. on point and if yeah. you see like Indian classical dancing that's more Bangladeshi whereas Pakistani dancing is a bit more out there hoi hoi screaming yeah. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas Bengalis don't have uh, enough, they don't enough eat enough red meat to be able to scream because they eat <laughs> fish predominantly um, <laughs> and vegetables so okay, that's good <laughs> so that's the diet that's the food cupboard as well um, yeah. a good point that you mentioned there about the um, when you go to these different countries people don't see you as that as that nation and it's this, and it's funny because same as me we live in the UK we've lived here most of our lives if we had to go to a different country like if I go to Iran they would just see me as Irish if I went to Ireland they would just see me as Iranian or right. or English. maybe British yeah British. English. And if I come to England they just see me as like you know Bul- Bulgarian or Eastern European yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's like it's a weird thing so for me this is why I don't like the whole thing about nationalism because it's just silly it doesn't make any sense yeah, yeah. for you what I mean how do you how do you see it like what would you would you be annoyed by the fact that people don't see you as that or do you just think it's just daft anyway you think that they're actually it's their I, I think the idea of the ideas of countries is just daft anyway like nationalism borders they're all man made you know uh, fundamentally I do I do like the idea of certain traditions and cultures and cultural norms uh, so for example say let's take a wedding okay uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, both Muslim, mm-hmm. but the things they do at weddings are very different. Um, like uh, two days before the wedding, Bengalis will have um, a ceremony where they put turmeric all over the body. All oh, right, what like um, like the rub? What is it? Yeah, like, like a turmeric paste yeah, all over yeah. the body. The main reason is to it makes the skin fairer, right? Um, apparently. Oh my god! I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, makes you look fairer for your wedding. This is um, like oh, the total opposite to like a northern wedding where they'll put like orange tan all over the body. <laughs> trying to be dark. dark. What is going on? <laughs> so yeah, so, so they do this and then uh, there's like it's all food, dancing, singing, all this stuff. Whereas yeah. Pakistanis, for example, also Muslim, they won't do the turmeric thing, but they'll do like a henna night, uh, Mendy night. Right. So they'll get henna and they put like ornate patterns on hands and stuff. And that's just one example of... So both. what's that for? The henna, they do that? Because it, it's not a permanent thing, is it? No, the henna just... So what's that to say that um, this is like a sell-by date? We've got this is, wedding will last for... Like, this is... No, no, it's just a tattoo. Just like a nice tattoo, something to look ah, nice. Ah, right, to have on the day. Yeah, sort of have on the day. Um, but that's just an example of same community, basically, but different cultural norms. And I think that's quite nice. Yeah. Um, I don't think you need borders for that to happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and there's probably people in the UK would prefer a wedding like that as opposed. It doesn't just have to be something in Bangladesh or Pakistan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing I would say though is like 
the good thing that is the good thing about countries is by having countries we can have like cricket matches yeah and we can have football matches yeah but that's it it's, yeah but yeah but look okay classic example and did you see the cricket on Sunday did you see the yeah. final yeah like I, you're, are you a big fan you're probably I'm a huge fan yeah. see so I I didn't know anything about cricket before Sunday and my um, girlfriend's sister is married not married but she's been with a long term relationship with an ex, like a cricketer an ex-cricketer who oh. he, he's a really good cricketer Tom Lansfield lovely lad and he played for Surrey and he played with some of the guys that were in that the actual final that Jason somebody said Jason it, Roy Jason Roy yeah and he was saying so he knew the players so um, and we're all uh, on the evening just before going out he was over at the house and we watched it and I didn't I watched the last bit and you'll yeah. I mean you know everything but I didn't know anything about it and I was thinking okay what's going on and when I saw the team that was the thing that really made me want to watch I thought this is brilliant I thought look you've got a bowler that's Caribbean born you've got a captain from Ireland well, who's English you've got uh, Adil Rashid and, and, and were they Pakistani or Indian? Pakistani two Pakistani and, and it was brilliant and I thought oh wow this is am- this is like the equivalent of France uh, World Cup football yeah. team that's made up of all brilliant. different nationalities the only thing I didn't understand was this um, super over yeah, because I was expecting to come up with like capes. Sort of <laughs> so was... But it was funny though because Owen Morgan, the England captain, yeah. After they won, there's this interview that's done the rounds where he was asked, uh, "Did you do you think you had the luck of the Irish with you?" Because he's Irish. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Well, Adil Rashid said we always had Allah on our side. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So maybe we had that. Yeah, and that's week. lovely. Yeah. And then he followed up with saying, "That's." kind of what epitomises the England team is we yeah. were from different backgrounds diverse exactly. experiences and we came together to win this for our country and I thought it was so important especially at a time like this which is so divided yeah. on these lines that the national team can win with yeah. such a diverse group of players yeah um, because that's well there's two things I'm going to ask you <clears throat> from that one of them is obviously about your new show your Edinburgh show which you're taking on do you talk about um, what's happening in the UK at the moment do you, do you feel because of your background that you have to I mean have you ever gone on stage hypothetically have you ever gone on stage do a stand up show at Edinburgh show or just a 20 minute club set and gone do you know what I'm not going to talk about my ethnicity I'm not going to I'm not going to explain to them that I'm from here I'm just going to go and do 20 minutes of observation material like anyone else does have you ever done that well yeah I mean this year more than ever I talk about race less yeah uh, or ethnicity or whatever because it's all about my relationships and yeah relationships you know they're, they're a universal experience mm-hmm. of course uh, there are parts of my relationships that are influenced entirely by the fact that I'm from an Asian background or a Muslim background I can't escape that yeah but do you think is that because you can't do it or do you think the audience won't let you escape that I think the audience won't let me escape it insofar as they're going to be interested to know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be interested to know th- about my experience because they don't have preconceived notions. For example, no one in my family has ever had an arranged marriage. Yeah. But th- I know that people think that that's the stereotype of how Asians get together. No, we just don't. Did your uh, your parents never influence who you date or anything like that growing up? There was never when I was younger, maybe a little bit. I mean, <clears throat> there was certainly... We- but it was only based on class lines. I mean, my mum, uh, God rest her soul, was quite proud, wonderful, but she was also quite proud and arrogant. You know, right. she had very clear idea that you must marry someone of a certain class right. and a certain level. And uh, but not identity. So she didn't mind if it was English, Welsh, whatever. She Swedish. wouldn't have minded. She would have preferred, in all honesty, if they were 
Bangladeshi. Bangladesh, you know, a Bangladeshi daughter of a multimillionaire would yeah. be perfect. We'd all like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even then, my, my girlfriend would marry that. <laughs> okay, good. Like, I've just met this Bangladeshi <laughs> woman who's multimillionaire. Right, I'll see you later. <laughs> see you later. She'd, like, she'd dump you straight away. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was the starting point, and then everything else kind of fell from that. But but do you, is that because of your parents were quite uh, modern? They're quite, they, or is it because? They just weren't like traditional, like how other um, families from not just Asia, South yeah. Asia, but the Middle East. Do you not think that's? I mean, were you not quite unique in that way? Yeah, I was very lucky because my parents were traditional but very progressive. So they were yeah. like, you know, my parents used to say, "Look, we we've come to England. You're going to meet non-Asian people, yeah, yeah. and we send you to private school where there's no yeah. Asians." So it wouldn't surprise us if you ended yeah, up finding someone who isn't. Even on religion, you know, um, my mum, my parents would both regard themselves as Muslim, mm. but they saw that over time I became less and less religious. And I'm very lucky that my parents don't really push the agenda, but by the same token, I respect their boundaries. You know, I don't cook bacon at home. Yeah. I don't uh, take alcohol home either. But what happens if you date a girl and she was drinking? Would they sort of let her... Drink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, so know, they're all right. Yeah, like my, you know, my, 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 my girlfriend now. You know, she, she gets, <clears throat> excuse me, she gets really nervous about it um, drinking yeah. in front of my dad. But <clears throat> excuse me, she gets really nervous about drinking in front of my dad. But my dad's been like, you know, it's what you do. If you want yeah, to do yeah, it, do yeah. it. As long as. Yeah. But things for my dad. I think he, my dad's a paramedic. So for him, his attitude uh, to drinking is based on that yeah, more than anything else. Yeah, as yeah. a Christian religion, I think. Yeah. See, that's funny. Your parents sound like similar to my where my. Dad's the one actually was stronger, more about alcohol because he he's obviously Irish, but he he never drank alcohol. But my mum must have been one of the only few Irishmen who yeah, didn't exactly. drink. Is <laughs> that the opposite to you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the opposite to each other. But he's but he but my mum was very traditional. She was she was one of them that she always wanted to wanted to get involved with who I dated. She it was very old school. She because she grew up in that thing where it's the mum should find the partner. Yeah, yeah. So she went to the arranged marriage, but she was lazy in terms of she never brought anything to the table. Right, so she okay. never brought anyone. She was very so bad at her job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I get bringing. So if I bring in someone, she went, no, no, no good, no good, no. And I'm like, well, what are you bringing? So yeah. I just start. It's, but it's interesting. Whereas, and it's funny because people would look on that for me and you or. Uh, you know, people with these backgrounds think, God, that must be awful having your mum or family decide. But not really. Sometimes it's quite nice. The, the I, think, I think it's good because it forces you, pushes your game, it pushes the standard. You're like, yeah, do you know what? Don't just get off with someone that you've met. You know, you're drunk. They're drunk. You know, I'm a big. I honestly, I'm a big fan of it because getting on with my family is so important, right? Exactly. And if my family immediately off the bat yeah. like you and they've chosen, they're like, you know, we think you're yeah. a good fit. That's eighty percent of my marriage fixed. Yeah, and they're babysitting your kids. So they're ba- babysitting right, you got everything. Go. Yeah. And also, you know, no one really knows us better than our own family. If you've yeah. got a good relationship. With them. Yeah. And the the reason why a lot of ethnic minority communities prefer this approach, they come to this country and work bloody hard. Yeah. To make sure that they are stable and comfortable. That's there's a reason why they left their countries to come to the yeah, UK. Yeah. So they want to pass that on to that level of stability to their children. And I don't think we should begrudge them that at all. And they want to find people who are similarly minded, yeah. come from families who also have the same kind of approach. 
because I can imagine it. I've got a younger brother. He recently got married. Yeah. And I want him. You know, he, his wife is lovely and she's brilliant. But I know that even as a progressive, liberal, whatever brother I am, if he married someone who I thought wasn't reflective of how hard my dad worked or I worked for my brother, I'd be a bit put out by that. But I'm all, yeah. you know, you kind of wasted all the effort we put in. Yeah, yeah. You can't choose who you fall in love with, of course. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, I think there, there's something to be said for parents being like, hey, look, we think this person might be a good fit for you. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of that then, so you, um, you're dating at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, the, and we were talking about this where your partner she's not she's a totally different background mm-hmm. she would be she's from Britain but she, is she religious or not no no so she maybe. she's well she was born in the Netherlands yeah uh, moved to the UK when she was three uh, English and Scottish heritage no English Scottish and Irish heritage wow. actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very English yeah uh, middle class um, her, her perfect da- this is <laughs> her dad went to private school and then to Oxford you know, what's not to like? What's not to like? So she's, you know, you, if you, hopefully you'll meet her in Edinburgh. She's yeah. um, as archetypally English as it comes. But she, you know, uh, we've mentioned, we discussed this before the pod. In a sense, her being English has been so refreshing for me. Although, I, you know, I'm very cultural. I love everything about my Asian culture. Yeah. But my experience of dating Asian women has been tricky. Because as a second generation immigrant, and I get it, they're Asian women who are aspirational and they want to yeah. um, do things in a way that's different from, from their predecessors, absolutely fine. Whereas with my girlfriend, it's kind of been a bit like, oh, this is all quite novel and I'm quite interested. So, for example, my, you know, she's a vegetarian and my dad will make an effort to make vegetarian food yeah. for her. She wanted to learn how to make one of these dishes. She's started to make it. And she's like, Ishan, I want to make this dish for you because I want to see that you like it. Yeah. That would never happen with an Asian girl. Asian yeah, like, that... I'm not cooking because yeah. I don't want to fall into the patriarchal yeah. idea of what a housewife should be. Do you think that's a great thing about identity? Do you think because it's that thing you've obviously from South Asia, Middle East, Middle yeah. East, Spartan, do you think it's because uh, women there, her daughters there, they want to rebel against their parents, whereas in the UK, yeah. it's the total opposite. They want to be like their mothers. Like my partner, she's the same as your partner, very British, very middle class, and she gets not upset, well, she does get upset, she gets stressed when, because she sort of, her mum sets the bar so high. Yeah. She's always she feels like she's failing sometimes if she doesn't do what her mum does right. whereas as you just said there with Asian daughters it's the opposite could you imagine if they would like to they suddenly started doing what their mum did like my mum yeah. started cleaning the house six times a day yeah. and cooking food for every stranger that came yeah. in yeah, yeah, my, yeah. your partner said mine would probably if I said oh have you cleaned the house again or have you cooked she'd look at you and go what? why Why would I do that yeah. she'd throw them off at you yeah. but do you think that's identity or do you think that's I, th- I've, I think absolutely it is to do identity because or is it just inbred is it something that's I, th- I think it's identity because you you, you don't want to fit DNA. into a stereotype a societal stereotype and I look I completely understand that yeah. um, and that's fair enough but it's weird you know since my mum passed away I live with my dad I don't want to leave my dad alone. Yeah. And I know that this has caused rifts in the past with previous partners who are like, you know, you should, your dad is nearly 60, can do what he wants. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he, but he wants He's you, nearly yeah. 60, that's the yeah. point. You know, he's going to be 70 soon and I don't want to leave him by himself. Where, you know, Asian girls have on the whole have been like, there is no way I'm fitting into that stereotype of moving in or whatever. Would you not put your dad in a granny flat? <sighs> what? He sounds great, your dad. It, I actually, me and my girlfriend just talked about this. We wanted, 
we encourage more old people to become housemates. Yeah. Like, why don't you set up an app? You could make a killing. Yeah, we're we're going to do the next. Um, what you call him? Uh, Zuckerberg. If you can get like a, like Facebook for over 60s. Yeah, that's what that's what we're trying to do. Well, it? I think Facebook is now for yeah, yeah. That's but, just yeah, Facebook. But now it's um, yeah, just an app that gets older people living together. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Yeah, I'm going to try it. I want to see you on Dragon's Den with that. Yeah. I'm if you're listening, and if you're an angel investor, get in touch with me. <laughs> There's loads of money there. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Okay. We want to get rid of this whole thing about borders and about nationalism. Even just the word nationalism for me is terrifying. I know that some people think, oh no, but I'm so patriotic. Wave this flag, I'll wear this badge. But for me, if I had one wish and clicked my fingers, went to bed and woke up tomorrow, there'd be no more borders, there'd be no more nationalism, there'd be no more of these patriotic things because it, it just it creates exclusion for some people, inclusion for others and yeah. that's not a world I want to be involved in yeah. and particularly, and you've got a same background to me that you're not from one nation, you're yeah. not a Pakistan, you're not Bangladesh you're not yeah. British, yeah. even though it says on your passport you're British or my passport it says I'm Irish, my birth certificate is Iranian, none of this matches wherever I go, so for me I would get rid of all of that yeah. And just, I'd love to wake up. How would it, people go, yeah, but how would it work? This People would move around, the countries, like you said, they wouldn't have the World Cups. Of course you wouldn't, you would still do it. You would just call every country, you know, like A, B, C, D, whatever, you know, but you just have it where it's not about that, you can't live here, you can't do that. Yeah. So for you, what would be your dream if you could, without any of the, you know, thinking of the actual logistics of it? You could have anything that, I think, okay, that I, would make your life easier. Well, not necessarily my life. Everyone's, I think. I think I'd get rid of religion. Yeah. But I think religion has done so much towards yeah. creating... They, they, they yeah. set the benchmark for creating these states based mm-hmm. on yeah. arbitrary lines, man-made lines. And again, yeah, because it leads to extremes. Yeah. And then you yeah. expand and you do all this and... Mm-hmm certain countries become synonymous with certain religions so if I could wake up I'd love for there to be no more look religions are one of brilliant things in terms of humanity and charity and all this kind of stuff but fundamentally it required people to sign up to a club yeah. and die for that club yeah, yeah. And it's not just Muslims done it Catholics done it Protestants yeah. everyone's done everyone's it. every single look at the Hindus who were the nicest people the Buddhists oh my yeah. goodness yeah. my partner was saying she doesn't like any religion except for the Buddhists and then even the Buddhists have been done where you've got extreme Buddhists have been killing I think they were the Muslims yeah Muslims yeah, yeah yeah and it's like in Rahinja, well, yeah yeah Rahinja, yeah so, so I, for me if I could wake up I'd want there to be no more religion I, I mean I'd love to say that but I'm too terrified of offending any religion yeah well and I've said it <laughs> you're the Inshan just like a lunatic you just every religion can just do <laughs> one honestly he just does one Inshan is a nutter <laughs> he's sat here burning every religious book that's going yeah. and every flag he's like get rid of them all get rid of them all no, yeah. so and finally then so tell me so um, in a nutshell then so for, for people coming to see the show your shows are always great I love it we were talking before the podcast about your pictures the hardest thing and this is genuinely true I think for any comic is coming up with a title I don't think the material because you could talk for hours I mean, yeah. we, this, we could talk here for 10 hours on this and it's always interesting as a comic and not just a comic but you've got that sort of mind where you like to talk about things and you talk about your real life you've opened yeah. up about it but that's not the hardest thing I think for a comic I think it's a title like right. how do you come up with yours so, like you've done like Profit Like It's Hot yeah, which is brilliant not that's for great. Profit Profit Like It's Hot yeah. and now Infidel 
Itty. So. It, for, see, so yeah. how long does that take you to write that? Because people don't realize they think, oh yeah, that's great, but they don't realize. Infidelity. I kind of basically it came how it came about was I was just having a, I was writing some material, and I thought to myself, so if you're if you're a Muslim who no longer believes in Islam, you're called an infidel. Yeah. But what they call that is apostasy. Right. And in my head, I was like, surely that should be called infidelity. Yeah. yeah. Surely that's what it should be called. Ah, yes. Yeah, and I did that. And then also, and then I was just at the time just thinking about my relationships and I'd been cheated on, which is also infidelity. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I can just put these two together and came up with the title infidel hyphen ity infidelity yeah that's brilliant yeah because people don't realise that uh, but realistically so what would you say in the time frame what couple about, of days couple of months I, I reckon it'd probably take about a month or two so subconsciously it's in the back of your head yeah. and then it just sort of pops and it out. clicks you mentioned there about being cheated on and it's so funny we've, we've had long chats I remember when we were going to shows in Cardiff and places and you were telling me about these these different relationships that you've gone out with people and you mentioned these in your shows on yeah, yeah, yeah. shows on it I mean that's just ridiculous uh, do you think that's just bad luck or do you think it's just a change in society where it's probably a bit of bad luck you know all of us every single one of us has got at least one horror relationship story um, I've been blessed that I've got multiple horror <laughs> relationship stories <laughs> which I can then put into uh, an hour long comedy show but um it's really but this uh, new lady is not going to be a horror show. No, no, no. She's she's been she's been absolutely brilliant. Fingers crossed, it, it all works out. But this whole show is me exploring those things and trying to understand why they happened and trying to understand what kind of man I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Because and I guess that's another part of my identity. Since we're talking about identities, mm-hmm. what a Pakistani man, what a Bengali man, what a British man are the archetypes. They're yeah. all very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can be a bit of all of them, but I'm also not all of them. Yeah, yeah. So, for me, it becomes very problematic when it comes to thinking about what kind of partner and man I'm supposed to be in a relationship. I don't know the answer. Um, you know, my dad is the guy who fixes things and he knows people and he has he got stabbed by the National Front on two separate occasions, but he, what did he do? He beat them up. And did the, he beat the guys? Good, beat yeah. those guys. The first time I got called a packy, yeah. um, I wrote an article for The Guardian. You know, we're just, different, we're just different people. <laughs> that's brilliant. Do you know what I mean? So you see, and that's really... Because, see, I my partner, Lily, would have said, what you've done takes more strength than what you've done. I would have done what your... I used to do what your dad did. I used to fight, I used to run away, I used to whatever, whereas... I could never do what you did, but my partner says what you did is much stronger than just shouting back or fighting. Which is fine, but I would rather have the strength to be able to beat someone up. That's the truth. You can't achieve anything. Why would you want to do that? Right, there you go. This is it. And this is what I'm trying to explore with the show is why do I feel that? Why is it when I look at my dad and I think you're the way I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to be? But then you and Lily were like, no, actually, what you did is probably the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's perfect. Did you feel liberated doing that, writing it, and it got rid of all your anger and everything? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I wrote it, and then in hindsight, I was like, you just punched him in the mouth. Ah. You know, <laughs> so but you it, do it but again. Then, but then, are you not then adding, you're just giving him more ammunition? You're going, see, what did I tell you? See, they're just coming over here, not only are they doing this to us now they're, they're hitting us they're abusing us they don't see the, the yeah, fact well, that I mean, he's, he's but also you. he's not going to read the Guardian article, is he <laughs> <laughs> I don't know an, but that's the whole point the whole point of the show is me trying to understand good, yeah. what kind of man am I supposed to be yeah, yeah, and my yeah. relationships and what happened in those relationships help me understand yeah. what, what I was like in those relationships and 
Yeah. So, but don't punch any. Don't. It's not worth it. Just don't, don't retaliate with a punch. Don't retaliate. Just keep writing good shows like you do, Ishan. <laughs> that's all you do. So, Ishan, your social medias. This will all go out. Um, we can catch you on what? Uh, what's your Instagram is? My Instagram is Ishan Akbar. My Twitter is also Ishan Akbar. Uh, but it, on Twitter, it's, it's yeah. If, I'm you, yeah, yeah it. if you can't find me on Twitter and spell Ishan Akbar, <laughs> uh, I'm Michael Packentine. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, how, what's that? How did you get that? There? That's a great name. I actually wanted to call my second show Ishan Akbar. The Michael Packentire of comedy. That's brilliant. What? <laughs> See, again, another good title. And my agent was like, there's no way. People don't realise, uh, people who don't do comedy or never written comedy don't realise how jealous they are. These are great titles. <laughs> Why did your agent say that's not good? He's like, I'm not going to put Packentire on a place. That's brilliant. I'm like, later I will. Um, people are laughing even before they bought the ticket. Michael Packentire's yeah. comedy roadshow. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Michael Packentire. <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh my God. I might do that. I'll just do an hour of that. Yeah, Michael Packentire's comedy Roadshow, and then just do a slideshow of different. This is Michael. This is Michael Packentire, and this is Michael Bangladesh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Tire. That's brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, Ishan, lovely chatting to you. And um, we'll see you at Edinburgh. You're at the Gilded Balloon as well, aren't you? The Gilded Balloon, three forty-five. Three forty-five, and you can't miss him. He's the one that's all loved up with a new partner, <laughs> and he's the one walking around with uh, cleaning materials. He does all the cleaning, yeah, cooking. I do. I do. He's a new man. I'm a new he's man. Very. What's the term? Uh, um, metrosexual he's very metrosexual and uh, he's never eaten bacon in his life never or, had or a drink. drug never oh. or done drugs nothing such a such a liar such a good boy such a good boy thank you very much Ishan <laughs> love you